I'm John Doberstein, Senior Editor at No-Till Farmer, and welcome to the latest edition of our 2017 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, History and Insights for No-Till Pioneer Bill Richards, is brought to you by TopCon Agriculture. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they're released. If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. I'd like to take a moment to thank TopCon Agriculture for sponsoring today's episode. From planting to precision machine control, Norax boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, TopCon Agriculture offers a total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit topcompositioning.com backslash growing solutions to learn more about how TopCon Agriculture application solutions make agronomy work for you. No-tilling itself was still an innovation when Bill Richards got in on the ground floor of the movement. And today he stands as one of the major influencers who helped prove no-till is a viable, profitable farm practice. Richard started no-tilling more than 50 years ago, contacting local extension agents from Ohio State University for information gained through their no-till experiment. Richard stayed at it for the long haul, modifying his own no-till equipment. In fact, many of his designs were similar to those represented by some of today's major manufacturers. Richards was instrumental in establishing the residue management campaign in his county, and he was dubbed the grandfather of no-till during his term as chief of the Soil Conservation Service, which is now known as the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Richards has since retired and turned control of the family's 3,200-acre farm over to his sons, but he continues to promote the benefits of no-till practices in his travels in Ohio and beyond. I recently sat down with Richards to talk about the storied history of no-till adoption on his farm, the early innovators that helped him along, such as Kinsey founder John Kinzenbaugh and international product engineer Ralph Bumheckel, and some of the equipment modifications he made that helped him successfully no-till corn and soybeans. I come out of Ohio State and graduated in 53. My dad was a John Deere dealer. I was Chalmers dealer. And uh, I had was headed for that business. And then we had an opportunity to buy a farm. Started out with uh, 325 acres, about 125 was tillable. Uh, I was a, grew up on a, milking some cows in the 4-H farm and had no farm experience. And uh, had a good education from Ohio State and, uh, and was told that, uh, you know, the only reason for tillage is weed control. And that was about the time atrazine was, we were starting to play with it. Farmers around the country was playing, magazines were full of that. So uh, we started playing around with, uh, with uh, 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 reduced tillage. First attempt was um, uh, we were st- we were plowing and uh, I tried to put a a two row planter behind a five bottom plow 
And you know, that obviously didn't work. The next year we put about four rows behind a disc era. Still, we weren't getting it done. Still plowing. And Ohio State's uh, people, we got to sort of uh, attention to each other and, and um, we developed along with them this idea of, of putting a cultivator on the front of a tractor and pulling a planter behind the tractor. I had six row 40s, and uh, I took it a little further. I mounted the ammonia knife next to the to the row, and uh, that that sort of worked. But we were we were still plowing. So then I tried a a, a lister planter, and we learned that by golly we could grow a crop without breaking or turning the soil. And I probably attracted the attention of, of an international uh, engineer or product engineer boss later that he got to helping me. And um, uh, we kept working on this idea of, uh, uh, I think it was the old pointer planner that they, they had, and we were trying to make that. We ended up uh, with six rows with a, a big sweep in front and then a, a, some teeth that brings it back and then a packer wheel packs it down and then a planter behind that. And uh, we really uh, made that till plant system work at, uh, at uh, and I suppose it was started out at four rows and then it went to six and then it went to eight. And that was working pretty well. And then here comes Alice Chalmers with that colder. And suddenly we could go from, from 8 to 1240s. And uh, that would just, you know, brought a whole new world. Uh, I started to get attracted and attention. I think Purdue had me over there once, and they were trying to figure out how many minutes it took to grow a bushel of corn. And I sat down and I figured that out. And I mean, we, we went maybe 20% of what they thought was working. And the Alice Chalmers colder just opened up the world. Now, we never had an Alice Chalmers planter, but we adapted that colder to that toolbar planter. And then I met Kinsenthal. <laughs> and suddenly I could find out that, gee, this didn't need, I didn't, I wasn't, limited by 20 foot or, or 30 foot, we could do all this in a 60 foot swath. And uh, we put the no-till colders on a, the first, I think it was the second one he built, he built his own first. Um, and we put those no-till colders, uh, followed by at that time, John Deere had that uh, new, that whatever the number was on that planter, the ones that uh, they sold us at first, and we put that first planter together with John Deere uh, units. Uh, later, of course, they quit selling those units. And, uh, but with 60 foot wide, and uh, we were, I don't know that we were getting any yield increase, but we were saving so much management and time. We had no idea what we really had a hold of. We were just trying to save management and labor and fuel. And, you know, finally saw a conservation service even started 
looking at at what the opportunities, what we were doing, and uh, we went from twenty four rows twenty to uh, twenty inch rows. We put together thirty three rows on a, a sixty foot pattern. Then we put together two of those planters. And all at once, we were farming way more acres, and we were planting way more acres than we had management to handle. So that's sort of the involvement uh, all the way. Uh, machinery companies were really bucking us. Bob Hinkle is my hero. He finally just said, Bill, come to the factory. And he told him to let me walk up and down those bins and give me whatever I wanted. And that's that's what that's what really got the no-till or the the till planter. That's really what opened that up for us. At some point, you ran into an issue with markers on the planter, and you worked something out with Henry Orthman. Uh, tell me about that. Uh, Kinsey didn't have markers for that big bar, and I had met Henry Orthman through through Frank when he had us all. He had Orthman. He had me as a farmer, and he had the Fleischer Schmidt guy, I forget his name. But, you know, both of them were pioneers in, in really changing things. And I met uh, Henry Orthman, and uh, we figured out uh, by through him that I could put that folding toolbar on the end of the toolbar I already had, and then put my regular marker on the end of that. Well, a funny story along the line is um, we were welding all that stuff together out here in the lot, and here come these two John Deere engineers, and they kept sitting there watching us, and finally I said, you know, why don't you guys help? And uh, the next year then, that was the idea that John Deere had, but... The next year, Kinzenball really did make us a marker. So the rest is, you know, the story goes on. We'll rejoin our conversation with Bill Richards in a moment, but I wanted to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for supporting our No-Till Farmer podcast series. From planting to precision machine control, Norex boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, Topcon Agriculture offers a total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit topconpositioning.com backslash growing solutions to learn more about how Topcon Agriculture application solutions make agronomy work for you. Now let's get back to our talk with Bill Richards as he talks about overcoming early challenges to no-tilling on his farm and recaps the technological advances in planters and other equipment that make no-till adoption a much easier proposition today. He'll also cover the benefits he's seen to implementing a tram line and controlled traffic system on his farm ground to control compaction issues. Early on, Bill, when you used Case IH planters, you indicated that Case IH setup worked really well. What were the reasons for that, and what other planter innovations did you see along the way? 
and tell us a little bit about the planters you're using now on the farm. Well, we used those little uh, beaten bean unit planters, so we didn't need a drive mechanism and everything, each planter. So on the, on the till planters that we had, we had individual small planters. Now, you know, those were made for vegetables, and they're not near enough enough rugged enough to do what we were doing uh the breakthrough of course was the unit planter from deer i mean it was great but uh, but i was with those till planters from international through bombhinkle he uh, i wanted to be able to have planters that i could manipulate at any width and in any conditions we ended up with two of those kinsey bars with uh 33 row John Deere or Kinsey units. Used those probably for 25 years. They planted thousands and thousands of acres. And uh, uh, it was time for us to trade planters. And uh, uh, the guys bought International, mainly because the International dealer's about five miles away. And uh, right now they have a 36 row. 20-inch rows, um, Case IH, Early Riser, whatever they call that. But that that is slick. I mean, no, there isn't any no-dook holders on it. I mean, that thing will slip through uh, the field. You don't really, you can't hardly tell it's been there. In fact, we had a lot of fun with, uh, Randall Reeder was down here looking at the, the fields after planting and and he said, you haven't, been, you haven't planted this field, Bill. Well, and I really couldn't find any evidence. So we had to come up to get Bruce, our son, to assure us that, yes, that field's planted. Just be, be patient, you guys. <laughs> so, you know, we have the technology now that's just a dream. A dream. I cannot understand we were talking earlier. I cannot understand 35% no-till use. And I'm afraid if you if you pare that down to continuous no-till, you're probably uh, somewhat less than that. What do you think are some of the obstacles to getting more no-till adoption in the U.S.? I just don't know. That's been the, 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 the mystery to me. I mean, all the advantages are there. We now know so much about soil tell, uh, soil improvement, soil quality improvement. I mean, th this farm has been measured with, with deep holes, with, with all kind of, of technology to know what our uh, filtration rates are. Everything is positive. And uh, I, I, uh, I've traveled a lot. I've been in South America and I've been in Australia several times. And uh, we're lagging behind our competitors all over the world. Uh, I, I'd sometimes say in speeches that, you know, we've sort of unloosed a monster because we can bring, the world can bring a lot of acres into production with no-till. And it's just, it's phenomenal. What keeps us back? Well, culture. Uh, I've gotten in trouble a few times of saying uh, farm, uh, the farm payments keep us back a little bit. They were slow to adopt and really give us any kind of credit until the 85 Farm Bill put some 
requirements and that went over so poorly that 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 turned out to be a negative over time because you can't tell farmers what to do you have to sell them on the idea i had an interesting uh, conversation once in australia and we were talking about this and you know you guys are way ahead of us and aussie farmer says well said we know till because we have to we have to make money you Yankees get your money from the government. <laughs> Getting back to soils here, tell me about the benefits you saw during the time you had tram lines and controlled traffic farming laid out on your farm and with the more recent adoption of RTK technology as well. Well, uh, you can still see those tram lines. I think we've been on RTK for three years. Uh, you can still see a, a, a a difference. Um, got into soil compaction really through uh, making friends with the people at Auburn to tillage lab and, and I studied the, the opportunities. Baumhinkle was really in on that and encouraged us. Uh, so we come up with this idea that uh, when that wide planter, uh, if we skip those two rows behind the wheels, why well, we really have controlled traffic. Uh, that's why I, I, I was wrong before. We were had 31 units on in a 33-row pattern, skipping the two behind. And it was 33-row because we didn't have wide enough headers to go 12 rows, 20s. So we made our 11 rows, and we, we skipped. Uh, we, that was three, three harvester passes. The other thing is, the companies were just on us all the time of putting those wheels out wide enough to put four rows underneath the tractor, which is what we have now. But then we only had three rows under the, under the tractor, and uh, hence we ended up with, a, with an odd uh, pattern, probably the only one in the country ever, and, uh, but it worked. Now, those tram lines, that got so noticeable. I mean, they stayed firm. Uh, you could take a probe out there, and you could see the improvement on the inner row, and really improvement. And uh, then we get, we need a new planter. And uh, uh, we went to the, to the, the Case IH and RTK, and that changed our pattern just a little. So we we lost some some uh, the, some of those old tram lines. Um, we still think it wobbles an awful lot. Then that, that planter is so big and so heavy. I don't think that's our. F I don't think that's our future. But we're still on tram lines. Yeah. yeah. Tram lines for for uh, for the anhydrous, uh, which is an old Kinsey um, bar that we've adapted, and uh, of course the sprayer stays on those tram lines, and uh, the planter, and then the harvest we've taken the grain cart out of the fields, we managed to some way uh, dump combines without without a grain cart. Uh, we think we've really improved uh, on compaction. 
Now that's the bright side of it. We we've made a we have a large Dutch uh, dairy operation behind us, and we're selling silage, and that's just breaking my heart. I mean, that's we've got to well, <laughs> you, you can't hardly solve that one. So I've heard you're seeding cover crops on fields that have gone to corn silage and adding manure applications to improve fertility and cover crop growth. Tell me what you're trying to accomplish on your farm. Well, you can see it out here today. Uh, it's radishes and oats and Austrian peas. Um, we started out with Austrian peas, but as we get uh, back up a little to the Dutch dairy, um, we have center pivots and uh, we get the liquid manure off of the pits. And we mix that about 40% manure, 60% water at the pivot. And uh, so we're getting plenty of fertility. Uh, the Austrian peas are not needed, but that does give us some ground cover that lives over most of the time into spring. Uh, we've tried rye, uh, hard to kill, have a lot of bug problems or slug problems with the rye. So this is the second year for oats, and they just were frosted a couple of nights ago. They, they're better than knee high. We really like the radishes, but those radishes are hard to, to get planted. Uh, so we're, and we're using, there's three different sizes of seed there. Uh, if I'm uh, dreaming again uh, for the equipment companies, uh, we haven't begun to come up with the technology we need to spread cover crops and light enough till them. Um, we've, we were putting the peas on at first with the old planter, and that did a pretty good job, but you know, that's high maintenance. We need some way to spread that ahead of some kind of a, a light till operation and get that cover crop in the ground. One of the important points Richard's made, I think, is the sheer amount of resources that are available today to help growers convert their operations to no-till practices, as many of those tools didn't exist when growers started no-tilling many decades ago. The National Resources Conservation Service has a number of incentive-based programs related to conservation that growers may consider, and there are numerous publications, conferences, field days, webinars, books, and other resources to help growers successfully adopt no-till. Speaking of no-till education, the upcoming National No-Tillage Conference to be held January 9th through the 12th, 2018 in Louisville, Kentucky, will offer growers numerous opportunities to improve the effectiveness and profitability of their no-till operation. Bill Lemkool will host a special workshop where he'll share valuable tips for no-till planter equipment set up in operation for either beginning no-tillers or those who need to review the fundamentals. And Washington, Kansas no-tiller John Steige will host a classroom session that will spell out the different year one benefits of individual cover crops what their costs usually are, and where in a no-till cropping system they could be used. Steige will also explain the costs and benefits of basic blends that can be seeded economically and still deliver sizable results. 
Featuring top experts with worldwide experience, the National No Tillage Conference includes more than 100 money-making sessions and unlimited networking with the best of the no-till community. Register today for a discounted rate of just $329 at www.notillconference.com. Now let's return to the program and listen to Bill Richards discuss the opportunity he received to lead the agency now known as the Natural Resources Conservation Service in Washington, what was achieved during his tenure, and what must still be done to move no-till forward. He'll also weigh in on the significant role he feels No-Till Farmer and the National No-Tillage Conference has played in helping no-till grow and share some advice for the younger generation of farmers who have just started no-tilling or thinking about getting into the practice. So you spent some time in Washington as you were called up to serve as the head of the Soil Conservation Service, as it was called at the time. What challenges were you trying to solve with conservation agriculture, and what progress do you feel was made? Well, they were uh, attempting to uh, to put in place the 85 Farm Bill. And the 85 Farm Bill had been the first time ever that there had been any requirements tied to uh, program benefits. And uh, it uh, was only a condition of receiving those benefits. You weren't you weren't like EPA. You weren't fined for, for, uh, for not uh, doing a correct job, but you could lose your benefits. And um, farmers across the country were really up in arms. And uh, the Soil Conservation Service before me, the chief, had tried to force farmers to do it. And you know, so uh, Jim Mosley was appointed to the assistant secretary, and his boss was Clayton Yider. And both of the both of those first Jim was a friend, and uh, uh, they wanted a farmer. They didn't know how they were going to get me past the White House because I didn't have any political experience. Or I hadn't donated a dime to the, <laughs> to the president, and uh, uh, but some way Clayton Leiter, when Clayton Leiter spoke, he got her done. And uh, I went in uh, as a, as the chief of an agency of thirteen thousand people. Uh, never, that my first job ever off out of the family, and, uh, and it was it was an experience of a lifetime. Now I immediately started preaching that it's those those customers out there. You have to sell those customers on what you want them to do. You can't force them to do it. So we you know we had to, we developed a residue management campaign. I went around and uh, to several states where there was real hostility, and I could just talk to them like an old farmer. And first thing you know, we were laughing with each other, and uh, that uh, it worked. Opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, we got that residue management campaign going because we knew that w that was something we could measure. There was a residue that was left on the field. And um, had things rolling. Uh, No-till uh, took a giant leap upward. Uh, the agency measured a significant drop in erosion. And um, success. And then Mr. Bush lost the election. Next chief in had a different agenda. 
anti-use of, of herbicides. No-till needs herbicides, of course. And uh, that they, they just got a different signal from there on. So now there's, I, I think there's a mixed signal coming out of the agencies on, on conservation, on no-till, on how to solve problems. Bill, what do you think needs to happen in Washington in terms of conservation and crop insurance to make it work better for farmers? Since program benefits are, are going down and crop insurance is going up so far as a way to uh, help farmers, uh, uh, we thought that, that uh, the same requirements should be tied to top crop insurance. Now, that passed in the last farm bill, but the first they watered it down to where it's, I don't know how much it's being uh, uh, enforced. But um, our president come in with, with uh, cut out regulations, uh, offer incentives, give reason, people a reason to change. So I think we're setting on a great opportunity at, at soil conservation at USDA to come up with voluntary incentives, voluntary programs with incentives to really encourage the use of conservation and most important, improve no-till. We're going to solve erosion. That's, that's still our, our biggest conservation problem. We gotta, we gotta get, we gotta really get our arms around how to really cut back on erosion. Well, some states, it's it's serious. Uh, some of our best soils, it's serious. So uh, we've we've got to come up with incentives. That's what uh, the president says. The direction he wants to go. Are we given the opportunity? Uh, we have the opportunity to do that. Are we doing anything about it? Looking back, Bill, what's your impression of how the National No-Tillage Conference and No-Till Farmer have helped advance no-till practices? In Frank's magazine, I think it's done wonders, but those conferences have grown and grown. Uh, the last one I attended, I was there because they gave me an award or something. Call me, I'm old enough, they call me a legend, so that's how I get invited to things like that. <laughs> but... Uh, I, he's been the leader, and this is in in really uh, no-till information exchange of ideas, and you know that goes way back to those of us. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, myself alone. It was a there was all over many states, especially in the Corn Belt, there were farmers that were calling each other and were trading ideas, and Frank picked up on that and really started these conferences around come in, share your ideas. And, uh, you know, farming is one industry that has a tendency to, to really share with each other, even though that other farmers are competitor. Uh, we share more than, than happens in most business. What advice might you have for the younger generation of farmers out there who might have just started no-tilling or thinking about adopting the practice, what would you say to them? 
Well, the opportunity, you have all this wonderful equipment. Uh, but you also don't have to start out first class. You can still cobble stuff together out of the old stuff that somebody else has passed on. But no-till is so profitable. It's, you know, it's a revolution on the land. It's just a new way of thinking and managing soils. It's spreading all over the world, and it's, it's soon going to be to the place if we get uh, that, that if you're not no-tilling, you're not going to be competitive. We've had a wonderful, wonderful run in agriculture with these super, super prices. But if you look uh, at the next three to five years, I just come from an Outlook conference at Ohio State, and, and the man from Illinois was there. And, uh, you know, he pretty well told farmers that that 310 to 325 uh, corn price uh, and $9 beans is going to be here. And we have better... We farmers better figure out how to to get inside of those costs to make it work. And no-till is so obvious as the first step. People get on and get after me. Other that uh, they say, well, you know, you're all no-till, and I said, yeah, but no-till. Tell me what other conservation practice will get the job done or will make a difference in soil quality and productivity in profitability what one practice will make as much difference as no-till does now we have another revolution coming in cover crops what do you think the potential is for cover crops well as much as as (laughs) problem we've had of selling no-till Cover crops is going to be a harder sell because with no-till, you, you can see that drop in costs and real soon. The cost of putting cover crops in, uh, cover crops are expensive. And there's also, at the present time, not enough really good research to show what plants to use, how to get that job done. There's an awful lot of evidence growing of how much good we can do. And there's some many farmers really doing a fantastic job. But, you know, my sons here are hard to sell because it's it's about $50 an acre. Seed costs and, and planting costs. Uh, that's a significant cost uh, that... I have some ideas. One ornery idea I have is uh, they should let us grow our own cover crop seed on set-aside acres. Wouldn't cost the government anything. If farmers had free seed or could produce their own seed, you'd get a lot more cover crops planted. We'd like to sincerely thank no-till innovator Bill Richards for sharing his experiences on the growth of no-till practices on his own Circleville, Ohio farm and farmland across the U.S. For those listeners who would like to hear more about successful strategies for no-tilling, please visit notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, 
for helping to make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, feel free to drop me an email at jdauberstein at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2430. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For Bill Richards, TopCon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Senior Editor John Dauberstein. Thank you for listening.